morning. Good morning. Welcome to Porterfield. We are all about loving and leading people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. It is so good to see you today. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, isn't it? It's a beautiful day to be together. We're going to spend some time here. We're going to worship in a lot of ways. We worship. It's not just the songs. We're going to have worship, and then we're going to have teaching. It's like it's all worship. It's all part of the worship. So we're going to worship through singing. We're going to worship through teaching. We're going to worship through serving, as people are throughout the church. We're going to worship through our giving, whether you're doing that giving online or whether you're, you're uh, handing it off here at the church, that uh, every time it's an act of worship. Everything that we, can, that we do can be worshiped to our Father in heaven. Amen? And he is worthy of the praise, isn't he? All the praise we can give. So I just, uh, as we begin this song, I just pray that, that you would just open yourself to him, that you would uh, just offer him whatever is in your heart, whether it's joy or whether it's pain, he wants it all from us. He doesn't want us to hold anything back. There's nothing we can hide from him anyway, right? That's right. So would you please stand and join us as we just begin this time praising the Father who loves us. Amen.
Lord, we praise you this morning with everything that we have. Lord, we know that you are the creator of the universe, the lover of our hearts. Lord, we praise you and we trust you. We place our faith in you. We look to you for strength. It's in your name. We give it all to you this morning, Lord. We give you glory.
Amen. You can be seated. I want to welcome you to Porterfield as well. And just a reminder, as we're uh, changing some things uh, coming out of the pandemic, uh, the cafe area starting next week for a couple of weeks is going to be uh, prepared for Vacation Bible School because we're able to start that again here at Porterfield this year. We're so thankful for that. And in fact, that's part of, well, that's the main reason for the message today, but it's, it goes much beyond uh, Vacation Bible School. But also, I um, want to remind you, if you attend the second service, but you'd like to come a little early, uh, we do have some refreshments, some coffee and stuff that's out in the field tent out there, the field canopy. So if you get here at like 1030, uh, you can fellowship a little bit and visit with folks that maybe are coming to the first service, uh, or just uh, hang out with some people that you want to meet here on Sunday morning before you come to 11, uh, to the 11 o'clock service. So that's available for you. And again, we're just so grateful for your continued support financially, spiritually, emotionally, that your, your service, your, um, I don't really want to call it volunteerism, that's kind of what it is, but it's more than that, it's ministry. So thank you for the ways that you contribute in so many ways. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your love for us and your great grace that we still don't fully comprehend. Sometimes we think we get a, a little bit of a grasp of it, and it just, it is so far beyond what we can even think or imagine. The love that you have for us, that though you created us and you uh, had an ideal for us, uh, we fell far short of that. And you knew even in advance that we would do that. And yet in your great grace and love and mercy, you have provided a way that we can find you through faith in Christ, through your revelation, through creation, through your word over history, how you've interacted with us as your created beings. And then, Lord, most clearly through Jesus. So we thank you, Jesus, for uh, coming into this world, for dying on the cross, to show your great love that, that you would give your very life for us and then show and demonstrate your power and that you would conquer death and rise again and offer your Holy Spirit to dwell within us, that we can be part of your forever family. It involves forgiveness. It involves us turning to you and humbly receiving you, trusting you. And so, Lord, today I ask that you would speak through me in these moments today once again, that you would direct my thoughts and my speech, that your Holy Spirit would speak through me. I thank you that you've already worked through our uh, praise ministry, music ministry here, proclaiming your name and your glory. And I pray that just during our time together now, you'll help us to focus in on what you have to say, because the world is just shouting so many things at us, and there are so many conflicting ideas and uh, conflicting thoughts and confusion. So Lord, lead us out of that confusion. Lead us to you and who you are in your truth, because you are truth, Lord Jesus, and your word is truth. And help us, Lord, to receive that and walk in it, that we might honor you and help those around us in your precious and holy name. Amen. Would you stand to join us? God, we give you glory that you are above all things, Lord, that you are the king of all kings. We acknowledge your sovereignty over our lives. 
trust in the message that you've given us for the part that we need to play too, Lord. We open our eyes to the people around us, the people that we can let know about you, the people around us that we can encourage. There is so much to be done, Lord, and, and we just need to be reminded that you're the God of the city. You're the God of this city. You're the king of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You are. You're the light in this darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. You are. There is no
Amen. You can be seated. I'll find myself wanting to please the crowd. I'll find myself wanting to please the crowd. I'll need you to remind me that I should obey God. That I should obey God. I'll act like I don't have any problems. I'll need you to show me how to share my struggles with others. I'll want to have a lot of money so I can buy what I want. I'll need you to teach me that my things belong to God. That my things belong to God. I'll struggle with my looks and appearance. I'll need you to remind me that God wonderfully made me. I'll tend to think about myself before others. I'll need you to teach me that the last will become first. The last will become first. The last will become first. I'll think I'm a lot smarter than I actually am. I'll think I'm a lot smarter than I actually am. I'll need you to show me how to learn from God's wisdom. I'll want to avoid hard conversations. I'll want to avoid hard conversations. I'll need you to show me how to speak the truth in love. In love. I'll look for happiness in many different places. I'll need you to show me that joy is found in following Christ. I'll find myself stuck in bad habits. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you. I'll need you. I'll need you. I'll need you. To point me toward Christ when no one else will. To point me toward Christ when no one else will. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. The disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. But the Son of Man has come to seek that which was lost, to seek and to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for that one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he's happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. The disciples got a really unexpected answer when they started debating about who was most important to God. That really was what was going on here with the disciples. 
We're not sure, but it seems like as the disciples had been walking with Jesus and seeing all of his miracles and listening to his teaching for these three years of ministry, they had heard him talk about his death and his resurrection, but it still hadn't really, I think, fully hit them. They didn't fully understand it. In fact, the scriptures tell us that. And it wasn't until, of course, right up to the time of his crucifixion and then after the crucifixion and resurrection that they started beginning to grasp the reality of what Jesus was talking about. So in this moment of time, they were thinking as they had heard him talk about death and resurrection, probably in their mind they were thinking, oh, so this is going to be another one of those miraculous things that Jesus does. And so probably when he resurrects from the dead, that's when he's going to start his earthly kingdom. And that's when everything is going to happen and we're going to become a political power. And, you know, we've been following Jesus really closely. And I know he's kind of singled out Peter, James, and John. Like those three seem to be the ones that he's prepping to be some of the main leaders in his kingdom. But I wonder who's going to really have the most high power of position right next to him. Their question wasn't a question about character and all of these things. It was actually a question about position and power and authority. That's what their focus was on. Jesus, who is it that's going to reign with you? Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be right there by your side? Who's going to have that position of power? Because we've all been following you, right? And so it's going to be one of us, right? That's almost kind of what... Uh, is hinted at here. And Jesus totally blows away what they were thinking. He basically lets them know, you're asking me the totally wrong question, and your question shows me that you don't even understand what it takes to get to heaven. And so Jesus, as he always did, he answered very wisely, and he answered in a way that gave a teaching that helps us to understand the importance not only of children and ministry to children, but also the importance of all of us as followers of Jesus and how God views us and how we ought to view each other. You know, this is one of those passages from the Bible that a lot of people have heard excerpts from, and perhaps they think they know it, but it really deserves a closer look today, especially as we're endeavoring now to relaunch Vacation Bible School in person this year after a year last, uh, last year of doing it virtually because of the pandemic. And I want to make sure as we are reintroducing things, both with children's ministry and our adult ministry in person, and things are beginning to open up more, and people are uh, still kind of wrestling with this whole thing psychologically, emotionally, and physically as we come out of this pandemic. Again, we need to make sure that we're viewing each other with the right eyes and the right attitude. And that's what all of this deals with that Jesus is, is uh, confronting in his disciples. So there's a picture on the screen that uh, you see that I chose. And it's been a long time since I've shown this picture. I've shown it a few times. Some of you already know the story of this picture, even as you see it there. But for those of you that have been coming more recently, maybe even in the last five years or so. I don't know, maybe you don't know this, the story of this, um, but it's very relevant. And as I share this today, I just want to make it clear that we're not living in the past. We're learning from the past so that we can live properly in the present and prepare for the future and what God would have us to do. But this image that you see is not something I pulled off the internet. It's not something that I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. I'm teaching on kids ministry and the importance of kids. Um, but this actually is a picture that was taken 
after the fire swept through our facility that we had here back in 2005. So it's been 16 years ago. In some ways to me, that seems like a lifetime ago. It seems like it was 30 plus years ago. And when I hear 16, I'm like, gee, it seems like it was a lot longer ago than that. But 16 years is a long time. So I, I had a few pictures that I wanted to show you. For, for those of you that haven't been on that journey at that time with us, but for those of you who have walked that journey, these will bring back some, quite frankly, painful memories. Go ahead, put up the next picture there. So this literally is the picture of the basement of the facility that we used to meet in and worship in. Um, this was our fellowship hall. It was the area where we met and had our dinners and uh, spent our time talking and having classes. It would be kind of like the cafe area is out here in our new facility, but it even served as much more because there were, there were classrooms. Well, I guess there's some classrooms that come off of our cafe. But imagine that. This is what the fire did to that. And up at the top, you see a, a steel beam there. At the top of that, that was the upper floor. And then what you're looking at is the lower level. The fire went up through, the, from the basement up through the first floor, through the roof, the whole thing collapsed, caved in, and this is the rubble that you see left. Go ahead and put the next picture up. So now what you're looking at is, again, this same room down there, the fellowship area, the cafe, like what our cafe is, and you see the backs of some folding chairs and all this rubble around it. We had those uh, oblong eight-foot tables that we would sit out, have, share food and coffee and talk, um, those tables were melted. Basically, all that was left was a metal frame. Now, there is in the upper left, it's really hard to see, but there was a couple of those plastic tables that you, if you look carefully, and again, it's, I should have magnified it for you, but the plastic had melted and it was sagging down and it formed basically like a basin that when the firefighters were trying to put out the fire, water was coming down through and apparently it must have hit those tables and it cooled the tables off enough that instead of them melting completely through the water must have hit it and it kind of hardened it and it just formed like these basins so i remember being down there and there was still water just all gunky uh you know ashes and everything in the water but here's the other amazing thing about this that in the midst of this devastation god was showing us that he was with us and he was still working his plan because one of the classrooms that was right off of all of this that you're seeing is where we stored medicines and eyeglasses that we were getting ready to take to Nicaragua with us on a mission trip that the church had been preparing for for over a year. Well, when this fire swept through the facility, we thought, oh, you know, what are we going to do? The, the mission trip is off. There's no way now we're going to be able to go. And what we were amazed at was a couple of things. One, a fireman came out of that area and he had a Bible that had not been burned. That in itself was pretty cool. It was like, that, that is amazing. But then on top of that, when they went into the room where the medicines were, the fire did not get in that room. And the medicines were stored in plastic bags like Ziploc bags in different containers. And the fire did not get in there to burn any of the medications. And not only that, but the, the bags, I remember some of them were like double bagged, like you had the medicines were in a bag and then those were put in a bigger bag, Ziploc together. On several of those plastic bags, there literally was black soot 
and it was almost like tar, it was so thick, but when we pulled the inner bag out, everything was fine. So we knew very clearly that God had spared those medications, and right then we knew, okay, God, you're giving us a very clear signal. You still want us to go on this mission trip. Even though there is devastation here and we don't know what we're going to be facing in the future, how could we ignore this? But beyond that, at the top of the stairs, go ahead and put up the next uh, picture. So here again is from the basement level looking up. You can see all the devastation in our uh, education wing at that time. Uh, go ahead and put up another picture. So there's a hallway, and you can see the sky. I mean, so you see everything. The roof collapsed. This is total devastation. But like down at the end of one of these hallways, and it was also at the top of the stairwell coming up out of the basement. Go ahead and put this next picture up. There it is. We had hung a picture there of Jesus with the children. It was a lithograph, so it was just printed on paper. Uh, you know, it's, paper's kind of flammable, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> it was on paper, and it was just mounted in a wooden frame that had a single pane piece of glass in front of it. And yet all that intense heat and everything that was going on, it literally, you can see it, it scorched and um, it left that residue of all the fire on the glass and literally the glass had broken out just that way. This is how we found it when we walked in the building after the fire was put out. And again, it was like, okay, God, I, I think we're getting this. <laughs> I think we're getting it. It's really bad what we're going through, but you're letting us know what is absolutely important in your church here at Porterfield and what we need to make sure that we're focusing on. And so from that, we said we are going to continue to go on this mission trip to Nicaragua. And even as we began to think about building this facility and what we needed to do for the future and for future generations, God just over and over again was making it clear that he wanted us to focus on ministry to children. Why is that important? Because children become teenagers, and teenagers become adults, and adults become parents, and parents raise families, and then those parents become seniors, because God cares about every single age, but the foundation is with our children. And we've got to make sure that we never forget that. It's why we want to do everything we can here at Porterfield to be supportive of parents and families. And we want to help you to train your children. It's more than we can just do when we get them for only an hour or so on Sunday. It's something that needs to be instilled in all of our hearts and in our homes as best we can. So again, we need to learn from the past, not live there, learn from it so that we can live appropriately in the future. And so I thought today with Vacation Bible School getting ready to start here in just a little over a week, next Sunday's Father's Day, yay guys, and uh, then Vacation Bible School, that'll be an appropriate time for Vacation Bible School to be that week. I felt like the Lord was impressing on me that he wanted this to be shared to make sure that we are approaching it with the right reasoning of why we do what we do. So Jesus left no room for doubt in his discourse about the importance of children to God. In fact, we see in verses uh, two through four, 
notice what Jesus says here. He called a little child and had him stand among them. And then Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So this was like a reprimand on the disciples. He's saying, you guys are worried about who's going to have the position of power. And unless you become, change your attitude and become like this little child, you're not even going to get into heaven. Imagine that, him saying that to the people that have walked with him for three years and followed him and thought they were all that, and that he had empowered to serve. He was showing them that they, their attitude, they were getting pride, they were getting some arrogance in there, and there's no room for that in heaven. This is a warning for you and I today as followers of Jesus. Sometimes we can follow Jesus for a long time, and maybe we've done some great things, or God's done some great things through us, and we start thinking that somehow we're all that, and we know stuff, and we should learn stuff, and we should grow spiritually. But don't ever get to the point to where we become so arrogant that we start thinking about our power, our position, and our control, and we're not looking at to the one who created us and gives us the possibility of being in heaven. In fact, he's the only way to heaven. And so we need to have our attitudes changed and make sure that we are staying like a little child. Now, look, little kids are imperfect. So don't romanticize this and say, oh, yeah, Jesus says we just need to be like a little child and be all pure and innocent. Any parents in the house? <laughs> you, you learn real quick that you don't have to teach your kids how to do wrong. They just, we have that bent. We, you know, what we have to do is teach our kids to do right and encourage them. And it's a challenge and all that stuff. But so, so that's not what Jesus is talking about. Is just be like a little child and be innocent and pure in your thoughts. What he was addressing is children in that culture, and really even in our culture still today, they have no political power. You know, there, there, there is no four-year-old that serves in a government position. Um, they, in, in that way of thinking with political power, it doesn't exist. And so Jesus was saying, these kids aren't, when, when you're this age, you don't worry about power position. The other thing that concerns me is the things that our children are taught. And I know there's a huge responsibility on us as parents. So I'm not, this is not to try to make anyone feel bad or beat them up, but it, it is an awareness that we have a responsibility to teach our kids. So we've got to do the best we can to not lead our kids astray and to teach them things that would cause them to go into sin or behavior that would be displeasing to God. Because we got enough trouble. We all have a sin nature on our own. We don't need that to be fed and encouraged and everything else. So we need to, as followers of Jesus, help our kids learn about his love, his grace, and then also the things that he teaches that would help us live a better life, a more fulfilled life in truth, regardless of what the world says. And this is what concerns me at, of all generations, um, but especially in the time we're living now, because there is so much emphasis being put on things to be taught whether it's in a private school, a public school, or whatever, just our educational systems, we need to be very conscious and careful because the culture of the world and all the, the mindsets of the world is really inundating our kids. And I believe we're in, we've always been this way, but, but especially now we're at a point where we're really beginning to confuse our children more so than we ever have before. And I know you're tired of hearing this, but it is an issue that we deal with. But we're, we're giving our kids confusion about their own bodies. We're telling 
our children to follow the science. Oh, when it applies to this, but when it comes to your body, don't follow the science. Don't follow biology. Go with how you feel. Go with your emotions. It's really dangerous. And I'm saying this in love. I'm saying this, that we all need to be critical thinkers and not just get on our bandwagons and our causes and speak out against that and that, and all of a sudden, everybody's an enemy. Use the brain that God gave you. God's word says, come let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as wool. God wants you to use your mind to think and not be led astray by the confusion that is sweeping our land. And it's not just here in America, it's around the world. So that's enough of that. But am I not speaking the truth in love? And this is why, again, Jesus says, watch your attitude. And it is important. I, I think it's important. This message is not about this, but I would be doing a disservice if I don't draw it to our attention again. These are the words that Jesus spoke, not some wild-eyed radical that watches too much of one news station. He says, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. And then he says this in verse 8, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. These are the words of Jesus. They're not the words of somebody that's really angry at society and stomping their feet and pounding the pulpit and saying, you're going to hell. This is a calm but serious teaching of Jesus about the importance of what we believe and why we believe it and who we're putting our trust in and our actions do matter and what we lead our kids into matters and what you and I allow ourselves to be led into matters. Jesus was obviously not saying literally chop off your hand. It was a metaphor, but it was a strong metaphor saying that if you're involved in some kind of an activity that is pulling you away from God, even though it might be great and you think it's fun or you think it's good, it would be better for you to cut off that activity, not do it anymore, get away from it so that you can be exposed to life and forgiveness and eternal life with God than to live your whole life with full function thinking, thinking everything is great and ending up in a place you don't want to be. So Jesus is in love pointing this out. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. He wasn't literally talking about your physical eye, but again, we do, our eyes get attracted to things that we shouldn't look at, that we begin to allow to entice us and it affects our thoughts and then eventually it affects our actions. So Jesus is talking about all of the senses that he's given us. That's why he uses hands, feet, and eyes, because they're symbolic of where we go, what we do, how we do our work, the things that we put into our minds. And he's saying, it's really important for you to think about what is influencing you so that you can, number one, recognize your need for me, because I'm your only hope of heaven, and then learn to surrender your life to me so that I can have you in my forever family rather than rejecting me and ending up in the place that is separated from me. Better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. 
See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. So it really is important, uh, our attitude about ourselves, about each other, and especially about Jesus. Now, here's the next thing that he says. After he says, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. So again, children had no political power. They simply just had to do whatever they were told. Still kind of that way in our culture. But here's another thing, the point that Jesus is making. Little children, they are totally dependent on others to help them. Now, I know eventually a child gets to a point where they can dress themselves, and eventually they get to a point where they can bathe themselves, and, you know, they can feed themselves. But they're, when they're a small child, just a little toddler, they're totally dependent on outside themselves. They have to depend on someone other than themselves to feed them, to clothe them, to help them, to protect them, give them shelter, all of those things. This is the point that Jesus was making about all of us, no matter what age we are. The only hope that you have of getting into heaven is to recognize that you're not going to get in heaven by your knowledge, your abilities, your power. You have to become like a little child that's totally dependent on the outside of themselves, and you need to respond to God and his offer and what he provides. Jesus alone is the one who provides clothing for you. He provides your righteousness. It's not your righteousness, it's his. It's Jesus alone that provides your cleansing, not with soap and water, but by the blood that he shed on the cross for your sins. That's the atonement that cleanses you of your sin. It's all based on him, not you. It's not your blood, it's his blood. It's all about, uh, he provides our, our, uh, our clothing, he provides our righteousness, he provides our cleansing, he provides our feeding. It's a spiritual food, the word of God that feeds us and helps us to grow spiritually. It's not your ideas or the latest fad that makes you more enlightened so somehow you've reached a point where you deserve heaven. We have to become like a little child and acknowledge Jesus. Without you, we're, we're lost. We're done. And until you do that, you're, you're not going to make it into heaven. You have to have that attitude. That's called humility, a total reliance on God. And that's why Jesus says this, therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now he's saying... You have to become like a little child, totally dependent on me to even get into heaven and recognize that. But then like this child, this child didn't know what I was going to ask him to do. I just called the child to myself. And the child heard my voice, didn't know what I was going to ask him to do, but they responded to me and they walked over here and they came to me. That's what's implied. Unless you humble yourself like this child, you can't even be great in heaven. So... A sense of greatness in the kingdom of God is someone who just is learning to respond to whatever Christ might be calling us to do and just learning to be obedient to that, not being rebellious. And that's why Jesus commended this particular child. So the question, the, the question that the disciples asked was the wrong question. Jesus in this answer, though, he does affirm children's ministry. And look at verse 5, Matthew 18, 5. Whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. So again, we have a responsibility to teach our children about Jesus. He says, welcome them in my name. So certainly in his church, we want children to come in. We want to go out and we want to reach children. We want to reach people of all ages with the love of Christ. 
but we're doing it again in his name. We're not doing it as just a social thing to do, another good involvement in the community or in society. We are doing it in the name of Jesus, representing Christ. And Jesus says, when you do that, when you're welcoming others and especially children in my name for the cause of what I want done in their lives, then really you're welcoming me because again, it's implied his spirit is the one that's drawing them to us. And so when we're welcoming them in his name, we're welcoming him. So Christ commands us to minister to children in his name. Look at verses 13 through 16 of Mark 10. I've got the scripture uh, on the screen for you, I believe. Uh, Christ commands us to minister to children in his name. So this is another incident, a separate incident. It says people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them because that's what they would do. It was a form of blessing. Uh, But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. There it is again, the same principle, the same teaching. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. He was teaching them positive physical touch, not abusive, not some twisted form of physical touch, but a welcoming embrace of love and approval and blessing in their lives. God speaks through physical touch. That's why he came into this world in body and in flesh in Christ. Children's ministry is not less important to God than other forms of ministry. Look at verse 10, Matthew 18, 10. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones For I tell you that there are angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Now, he makes a statement here. There's not a lot that the Bible teaches about what we might refer to as guardian angels. But the way that Jesus says this, it does kind of imply that probably every child and and certainly every believer, God assigns angels to kind of be our guardians or to look over us. I don't know about you, but I sure need a guardian angel. I believe I've had one, and I believe he, that angel has uh, saved me on different occasions. Now, again, I attribute it to the Lord rescuing me, but he does that through angels. And this is something that I've not preached on for a long time, but it would be, it would be interesting to do a study on angels. We don't worship angels. We worship God. But angels absolutely are ministering servants, or they are, they are beings that God created, and he has assigned them to minister to us as human beings. Not because we're all that, but because we need it. We need all the help we could get. And so Jesus says, don't look down on these little children. And there's also, as he's talking about this, there seems to be an implication that he's talking about people who have come to believe in Christ, and they're maturing in their faith. Don't look down on if, if you're a mature Christian, you think, why is that? Per-? They say they're a Christian, but man, they got some weird ideas. Well, don't look down on them. Help them, teach them, be patient with them, because all of us are at different levels of learning and understanding. So even as Jesus is talking about the same way we should have patience with a child who is learning, we should have patience with each other in the church as we're learning these principles about God. But the point he is making here is if God cares enough about kids that the angels who are in his very presence is ministering to these kids, we, if God cares that much about them, we shouldn't look down on them either. So some of you might be thinking, well, what's the payoff? You know, I mean, we spend all this money, half the facility over there is all about kids' ministry, and we're spending a lot of money on kids, so where's the payoff? Like, is, is, is this really being effective in kids' lives? I mean, what about the, the cost uh, 
uh, value of that? Are we, are we getting a return on our investment? Are they really learning anything about Christ? Well, here's what I would just tell you. Number one, yes, absolutely they are. And we're so grateful to God for the children that have come to know Christ, but it's more than just coming to know Him. You know, they got to be brought up and nurtured and encouraged in their faith because puberty hits and all bets are off, you know. So that's why... That's why uh, teenage ministry, youth ministry is so important. Please pray for Pastor Adam and Carrie. God bless them. I mean, and all of the, the ones that are working with the teenagers, because they, they absolutely need it. And we all know, we've heard the stories of how teens, you know, they struggle with so many things, and there's a lot of influence out there in the world that would pull them away from Christ. Then you go off to college, and then it's even worse. And uh, so we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to be there for them and to continue to teach them. But here's the thing. Um, the world is spending billions and billions of dollars to influence our kids. I mean, just look at all the television shows that are on there, the new shows that are being created all the time, um, that their eyes are being exposed to. What is, the, what is the show? What's the programming in it? What's the content of it? Is it guiding them in a good direction or is it teaching them things of, you know, violence and hate and, uh, you know, all, all kinds of uh, things that wouldn't be good for them to learn? Think about Disney World. I mean, you know, I've been there before in the past uh, with family and I know several of you have, have been there. And it's a fun place to go, but the point is look at the billions of dollars that are spent. And I, I hate to burst your bubble but the reason that, that Disney has done all these things, it's not to enrich your kids' lives. I, you're going you're gonna to be really mad at me. But Disney is not about enriching your kids' lives. It's about this little thing here, the bottom line, the money. Because like any business, if it doesn't make money, it's not, it's not going to be able to exist, right? I mean, you, you have to be in business and make money. You've got to make a profit. Well, Though Disney started out really great and cute with Mickey Mouse and the little cartoons, and it's pretty harmless, over the years, because it's such a money-making thing, then people got in there and got ideas about, well, you know, we really need to appeal to this segment because, you know, that's going to get our bottom dollar. That's going to get, you know, more exposure, more money. And we need to do this, and we need to do this. And I want to tell you right now, as I'm speaking about this, I'm not running down Disney now, okay? Because we, we subscribe. We got the Disney, you know, live streaming, so... There's some good content on there, but there's some stuff on there that's pretty questionable. It's like, yikes, I don't know about that. And the point is this, again, as parents, we have to be careful what we're exposing our kids to and even what we're being influenced by. And now I'm going back to this thing. Billions of dollars are being spent to influence our kids' thinking. Why should we not spend as much as we can to influence our kids' thinking about Christ? We're doing a disservice to families and to our kids if we're not willing to invest heavily into children's ministry and youth ministry and ministry to families. Because I don't know about you, but that is the thing that I do most counseling about and have for all of these years. It all has to do with family issues and kids' issues and teenage issues. And frankly, the bottom line is it's all about spiritual issues because we are a broken, sinful people and we all need Christ. And that's the point that Jesus is making. So ministry to children is mission work. That's why Jesus, along in this teaching, he says this, what do you think if a man, this is verses 12 through 14, 
What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety and nine on the hills and go to look for that one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he's happier about the one sheep than about the ninety and nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. So God cares about kids, but he cares about all of us. Even those of us who have accepted Christ at an early age and then maybe got influenced by the things of the world and we kind of get pulled away, whether it was through high school or through our college years or later in life, whatever it is, we go through those periods of wandering and we need to always know that God is there so that when we come back, we're received and we're forgiven and we're embraced. And this is what Jesus is saying here is God loves you so much that you may not even realize you're lost, but he's right there waiting for you. And he knows where you're at. And all you need to do is just to turn and to come to him. So this is a, an illustration or a teaching that Jesus gave about God's love to pursue us in Christ. And that's a wonderful thing. So we as a church should pursue people to tell them about Christ and to let them know that he loves them and that they can find forgiveness and rest and peace in him. But also Jesus told another parable, if you remember a story, about a son who didn't want to stay home anymore and he wanted his inheritance and ran away. Went away from home, spent all of the money until he was broke and he had nowhere else to go. And again, he couldn't take care of himself. And he thought, well, if I just go back home, at least if I go back home to my dad, I, maybe I could work for him because at least I know he does love me and he'd give me a place to work. And do you remember the story of the dad when the son was coming toward the dad and the dad saw him? The dad ran and embraced his son. And he was more happy about the son that had wandered away and was restored than he was about the son that had stayed with him the whole time. In fact, the son that stayed with him the whole time got kind of miffed. It's like, you're more happy about this brother that went and wasted all the money, and now he's come home, and you're throwing him a party, and you're not doing anything for me. Well, there's another teaching about all that that is not for today. But the point that I'm saying today is the same thing that Jesus is saying here, the idea of the rejoicing that happens when somebody strays away, but then they're brought back. There is such rejoicing in the Father's heart. And so I want to say this to you today, if you're a parent, whether, if you're a, a parent that's maybe had kids that are grown up and maybe they're even in their teenage years or off to college or maybe they're away from home, whatever, and you feel like maybe they, they're wandering right now, they're, they're not really where you'd like to see them be with the Lord, keep praying for them, keep loving them, keep trusting God with them because God is the one who is in their life, and he's the one that can reach them when you can't. So pray for them. Don't give up praying and don't give up trusting. And I guarantee you, when those kids come back to the Lord, what rejoicing there is in your heart. I've talked to many parents, and, and I felt this way over the years. Uh, you know, all of us, were, we're all, I did it as a kid. I kind of strayed and went my own way and came to the Lord, all that. Uh, it's happened in our family with our kids. And again, I don't want to run them down. It's just a part of life. It happens to probably all of us, I think, if we're honest in one way or another. If, if you don't, if you've never wandered away or had a kid wander away, please call me. Uh, I'd love to know your secret. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it. And maybe you can preach next Sunday. <laughs> but but uh, anyway, 
you know, so when you feel like you haven't done your job as a parent, we blame ourselves way too much. Uh, but I know I've been there, Julie and I have been over the years. Again, our, our kids are good kids. We love them and stuff. But the point is we beat ourselves up. And I've had other parents the same thing. They say, well, I feel like I just failed in some way. And one thing that God impressed on my spirit, and, and so I've shared it with some of, uh, some of them. I said, well, you know, God created Adam and Eve, and they were his kids, and they kind of didn't turn out so well. <laughs> so does that make God a bad parent? And then they're like, oh, I never thought of it. <laughs> so, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny about it, but I'm just saying, we, sometimes we carry such a weight in our heart about our kids. And that's good. We should feel a, a responsibility to our kids. But like I said, church, we're all broken people. We're messed up. And, and that's what God teaches us. And he loves us. But here's the thing. God wants us to admit it. And like a little child, humble ourselves and just come back to him and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I, I thought I had it all figured out. I don't. I need you. I can't make it without you. That's the kind of heart that makes you one of his kids in his family. And so that was the point that Jesus was trying to make with his disciples and it's a point that he's making with all of us, I think, today, once again in the church, to just please watch your attitude and also make sure that you're doing the best to take care of kids and to teach them truth, to teach them critical thinking that is involved in what real truth is, which comes from Christ. Because Jesus said, I am truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And do your best to be on guard to not be caught up in some of the things that are leading children astray and bringing confusion in their life. Because there, there is real consequences to that. So that's why we're excited about Vacation Bible School. I want you to be praying for Tricia and all of the workers. I want you to be praying for all the kids and the families because we're praying that God's Holy Spirit is going to minister in their lives and to the families' lives and everyone involved here. And we just want to make sure that we're truly doing what we say we want to do to love people and then lead them to a life-changing relationship with Christ. Peter writes this in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Come like that little child and just humble yourself before God and totally trust beyond yourself and trust in him. Matthew 18, 3, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Would you stand with me? And uh, we're going to pray. We're going to praise band will come up. We're going to close this out today. You know, next Sunday's Father's Day. And uh, I don't know that I'm going to share this passage, but I think it's good just leading into Father's Day and then also the, the week that uh, is on the following that with Vacation Bible School, Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's so important. So it's not only just for us as dads and as men. That is important. We got to do our part. But it's up to the other people in our kids' lives, and especially in the church, to help teach them the Word of God because there is so much confusion in the world, and Christ alone can give us a peace that the world cannot give. So, Lord Jesus, as um, I've concluded this time of speaking today, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit presence. 
I pray, Lord Jesus, that you have worked through me to say what you want spoken. I thank you for your work in my life, Lord. And uh, you know um, the times that I've felt just like a little kid, even as a pastor, like what in the world am I going to do and how are we going to lead and what do you want done? And I know Pastor Eric and, and others of us on the staff have felt that way at times. And so, Lord, I, pr- I pray that you just help us all to, to, in these moments today, lay aside all of our preconceived notions, humble ourselves like little children, but especially like this child that you used that day who heard your call and just obediently responded and came to you. Help us to do that in this moment today and with whatever you would call us to do this week and in the days ahead as it unfolds, that we might honor you with our lives. In your name, amen. If you want to come to the front and pray, you're welcome to do that. I know it's a little weird for some folks, but I'm just saying, whatever you feel led that you want to pray, pray for your kids, pray for Bible school, pray for yourself. You can pray where you're at, but if you want to come to the front and kneel and pray, it's fine. You're not praying to the musicians. (laughs) You're praying to God. It's just an act of humility. God bless you. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the
Lord, we pray that we would honor you with the way that we live, that we would look to you and your word to tell us what we need to know. Lord, we don't look to the world, Lord, we look to you. You are our only hope. Lord, we praise you in this time together. We ask you to bless us as we go and just put people in our path that need to know you, that we would be bold in sharing our faith in showing the joy and the love that we have. And we give you all the glory and we praise you. In Jesus' name, all the people said, amen. Amen. Thank you for coming today. Have a great week. Well, so you, the live stream can stop. That's okay. Um, but uh, actually, as the Lord Spirit's working and... Uh,